You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Mystery Bot is under development and presumably being prepared for sale on the black market. Satan Ransomware gets a makeover and a new name. Apple has taken measures to make iOS traffic less accessible to snooping, but lawful snoops may already have a way around that security. Kaspersky will no longer work with Europol. The U.S. Justice Department IG reports on the FBI. And a former Jeopardy! champion cops a hacking plea. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, June 15, 2018. Researchers at Threat Fabric are tracking what they've named MysteryBot, multifunctional Android malware under criminal development that combines a keylogger with a banking trojan and mobile ransomware. MysteryBot seems capable of targeting both Android 7 and 8 devices. MysteryBot abuses usage access permissions. Threat Fabric assesses the new malware as derived from LokiBot, whose source code has leaked. MysteryBot's ransomware module seems defective, but Threat Fabric thinks the developers are working on a tool that will fetch a good price in the black market. The authors of Satan Ransomware have rebranded and upgraded their product. Malware Hunter says the criminals behind the code are now calling it DBGer and have incorporated Mimikatz to facilitate lateral movement within targeted networks. Apple may have closed off an access point police had used to get into suspects' iOS devices, but forensic experts think Grayshift may have found a way around the new USB-restricted mode. In other intercept news, Elcomsoft says it's upgraded its phone breaker tool to decrypt iMessages in iCloud. Kaspersky will suspend cooperation with Europol. The Russian cybersecurity firm has long partnered with European police investigation of cybercrime. But now that the European Parliament has called for a ban on its products as security risks, Kaspersky has said goodbye to all that. The U.S. Justice Department's Inspector General yesterday afternoon released the report on the FBI's investigations of various actions by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and Department of Justice in advance of the 2016 election. The inquiry covers, essentially, the FBI's investigation of former Secretary of State Clinton's handling of classified material and her use of a private server during her tenure as secretary. That case, connected as it was to Russian hacking of the Clinton campaign in the Democratic National Committee, has been of interest to the cybersecurity sector for the last two years. The report's 586 pages find more impropriety and insubordination than political bias. On balance, it's not good news for the Bureau. Five agents have been referred for consideration under Bureau disciplinary standards. 
As the report puts it, the agent's use of bureau systems and devices to exchange messages that intermingled traffic about the ongoing investigations with partisan political opinion showed, quote, extremely poor judgment and a gross lack of professionalism. We therefore refer this information to the FBI for its handling and consideration of whether the messages sent by the five employees listed above violated the FBI's offense code of conduct, end quote. The partisan opinion so vigorously expressed went so far as to suggest that senior members of the Bureau would determine the election result. Those senior officials, notably Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok, say that these were regrettable temperamental utterances not to be taken seriously, but the IG, after making due allowances for the right to hold personal political opinions, is not amused. It's unprofessional, to say the least. Anyone who's chatted and emailed will recognize, with an uneasy twinge of conscience, that they've typed things better left unexpressed. But indeed, these indiscretions by members of the Bureau really do reflect discredit upon the organization. The Inspector General also found that some senior FBI officials, including former Director Comey, used personal accounts for official business and took other actions that contravened Bureau and departmental policy. The use of personal accounts contains an instructive lesson for security practitioners. If a tool is cumbersome or frustrating to use, you'll drive users to find less secure, sometimes grossly insecure, workarounds. We often see this in shadow IT. In this case, the FBI's official messaging platform, Microsoft Link, was generally unpopular enough with employees that they sought unofficial chat channels. At least one of the officials who received the IG's attention during the investigation, Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok, says that he and his frequent correspondent, FBI Attorney Lisa Page, really hated the clunky autocorrect on their bureau-issued Samsung phones, and that's why they used other private systems to conduct business and exchange views. Strzok was involved in both the Clinton email and Russian influence probes. There were also findings concerning leaks to reporters that the IG found particularly troubling and corrosive to the Bureau's professional culture. The IG notes that the FBI strictly limits who's authorized to speak to the media, but that this policy was widely ignored during the period under investigation. The report says, quote, We identified numerous FBI employees at all levels of the organization and with no official reason to be in contact with the media, who were nevertheless in frequent contact with reporters, end quote. The IG regards such contact with profound concern. Incredibly, the report goes on to say, quote, We identified instances where FBI employees improperly received benefits from reporters, including tickets to sporting events, golfing outings, drinks and meals, and admittance to non-public social events, end quote. A separate report on these will be forthcoming. Such conduct is obviously out of line, but the IG points out that fear of leaks and potential leaks had an unfortunate effect on the conduct of the investigation, including the timing of various announcements and letters to Congress. It's a cultural problem, the IG says. Bureau policy is both sound and unambiguous. It just wasn't followed. Congress expects to follow up the IG report with more hearings of its own, at least in the House Judiciary Committee, whose chair has said they expect a subpoena struck and others if necessary. We turn with unaccustomed relief to that other prominent member of the U.S. intelligence community, the Central Intelligence Agency. 
Motherboard, wondering, like most of you, who and where in the world Satoshi Nakamoto is, submitted a Freedom of Information Act request to the CIA asking if they had the goods or at least a file on the legendary creator of Bitcoin. The agency replied tersely that it can neither confirm nor deny that it has any information on Satoshi-san. So who he is, or even if he exists at all, are questions we'll get no help with from Langley. And finally, the answer is guilty. And the question, Alex, is what plea did the former Jeopardy champ cop in that email hacking case? Stephanie June Joss, former professor of history at Michigan's Adrian College, and at one time the top-scoring woman in the long history of the Jeopardy quiz show, told Lanoue County Circuit Judge Margaret M.S. No, quote, Yes, I knew what I was doing, end quote, when she pled guilty to one felony count of unauthorized computer access. She accessed another person's email account at Adrian College. Sentencing is currently scheduled for July 20th, and Ms. Jass could receive up to five years and a $10,000 fine. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He's the CEO at Dragos. Rob, welcome back. Um, I wanted to talk today about a little side project that you have that I know many of us uh, enjoy, and it is the Little Bobby comic strip. Uh, there's also the Little Bobby book, which uh, you can get on Amazon. There's a print version. There's also an electronic version, which I understand if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, you can get for free. So I don't know how you feel about that, but... 
But I wanted to dig. I mean, money out of my comic book empire. That's exactly, exactly. I wanted to dig into the the motivation. How did this start, and 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 why you chose this as a way to get some of those messages out there? Yeah, no, I I think comic books are approachable, and so originally, I mean, I have, I have to admit, a lot of it is based in snark, um, as maybe folks who know me might uh, might appreciate. <laughs> and and it really started out where uh, when I was in the military and in the intelligence community, there was a variety of discussions around SCADA, you know, industrial control systems, and I, I found it very difficult to explain to folks. And uh, I think, you know, I started seeing some teams that would pop up. And I, I remember one team said, hey, we want to do offense against SCADA. And I was like, oh, goodness, you know, I did civilian infrastructure. I don't know if we should do that. But, you know, if you're going to do it, I don't want you to do it wrong. So, you know, I'll teach you what I know. And spent, you know, hours with them, like showing them things and teaching them things. And at the end, you hear, that he, hear these new offensive folks were like, yeah, cool. So what does SCADA stand for? I'm like, what? You know, like, <laughs> right, you're standing right. up like an offensive mission. You could even be bothered to Google the term. Hmm. And I, I kind of got mad at it, actually. And so I like sort of furiously went home and wrote out the book, SCADA and Me, a, a book for children in management. <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a little bit of snark. And, and my buddy, uh, Jeff Haas, is, is uh, a, a comic book illustrator. And so I asked him, you know, to sort of take my really awful drawings and make them better. And uh, as we gave it back to these, you know, these and, and military folks uh, when that happened. But, uh, you know, surprise, surprise to me is they were laughing and sort of took it in good stride and like, hey, yeah, you know, we were just randomly assigned to this mission. I was like, ah, okay, well, you know, no one's trying to be a jerk. And so since then, I've, I've uh, kept it alive. It's been crazily sort of well-received in the community and then even published a second one threat intelligence in me a book for children and analysts <laughs> and uh and then every week uh, every sunday uh, jeff and i publish another another little comic strip on our on our website to take some complex topic and try to break it down into an easy to easy to understand kind of three-pane comic yeah, and it strikes me that it, it allows you the opportunity to kind of speak truth to power in a way that by having this construct of of a child uh, who is often questioning uh, folks who are, I don't know, spewing platitudes or misconceptions. And uh, it, it sort of um, it allows you to have, a I guess, a, you know, the court jester was the only one who could uh, criticize the king, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, you're hitting on something there, too, with with a lot of our our professionals in infosec i think sometimes we can be afraid to ask questions uh, we're we're seen as the you know smartest person in the room sometimes unfortunately mm. on any given topic and then we all know in reality that we all have sort of our small niche you know uh, expertise but but it can be intimidating to ask the questions or some vendor or some senator or some you know whoever comes and pitches like we're going to do blockchain and artificial intelligence <laughs> and you're like, oh, how is that going to work? And, and, you know, you want to ask questions. You're like, oh, OK. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of that outlet where little Bobby can do it for us. Be like, you know what? Uh, can somebody explain the blockchain value to me for, for security? And then, you know, nothing happens. He's like, OK, that's, that's about what I thought. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Well, it's definitely a lot of fun worth checking out. What's the best place for folks to check out little Bobby? Yeah, it's uh, the website every every Sunday, the free comics published. So it's uh, littlebobbycomic.com. All right. Terrific. Rob Lee, as always, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers... 
Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. At the RSA conference this year, there was one vendor booth that was not like the others. Selling his wares was one Francis Archibald Keyes Esquire. Yes, those initials spell fake. Complete with top hat, handlebar mustache, and a traveling salesman's horse-drawn wagon full of tonics and liniments that were sure to cure whatever cybersecurity ailments you might be suffering from. Fake security, indeed, made all the more mysterious by the fact that that booth had no reference whatsoever to any known cybersecurity company. Needless to say, it generated some buzz. Scott Petrie is CEO and co-founder of Authenticate, and he may just know something about what was going on here. The birth of the idea came from two places, I think. Uh, One is the fact that the industry has been promising customers solutions to the cybersecurity dilemma for years and just continues to sell more and more tech into the community. And, and, And if you go to events like RSA, it's a cacophony of vendors yelling and selling. The other thing that, that drove us to do it was the fact that trade shows, they're hard. They tax organizations from a dollar perspective, from you know a, a messaging and creative perspective, from getting people to stand in the booth and try to engage with the customers. They're difficult. And we said, can we combine the observation in one and have fun in two and do something completely different at RSA, hopefully get a little bit of awareness? Yeah, and I think um, one of the things that certainly caught people's eye is is the fact that there was not uh, any branding for Authenticate in the booth, which uh, lent the whole thing a certain air of mystery. It's funny, yeah, because we we up until the day before, we were having discussions about how do we reveal who we are? Uh, I stood by the booth. I was just enjoying the process so much, and we decided, like, we're not going to... We're not going to say anything about it. In fact, we coached the actors to say, if they keep digging and keep asking, just dig in more and be more obstinate. I don't know who this authenticate is, but I can tell you that these are all the solutions you need here. And it was really funny because it was it was almost a, a, created a psychology, psychological sort of a game about it. And there was one thing, my favorite thing coming out of it was there was an information security uh, team that did a deep forensic dive of how they tried to figure out who we were. They did uh, uh, who is records on our fakesecurity.com website. Uh, they looked at uh, registered vendors. It wasn't that hard because we bought the RSA booth under the name of Authenticate. So, you know, you didn't have to reach very far, but we created enough confusion by not being authenticated in the booth that people had to dig a little bit deeper. We went there having no expectations, just let's call the lie to the market and let's have fun doing it. And it turned out to be a pretty good way to get some people to be aware of our company and aware of our message. Now, take us through what was the spectrum of responses? Did, did everybody get the joke and were there some people who didn't appreciate it? More got it than not. Uh, I think when if we had a reveal 
quickly, like, oh, we're just joking, we're authenticate. I think then people would have kind of maybe, oh, it's just another clever marketing tactic by a company. Since we stuck to our guns, you could look at the faces of people where they'd walk by, they'd do the double take, and then the actor would engage them and start riffing about the, you know, uh, extract of artificial intelligence or whatever and start touting the goodness of the of the tonic. And then they'd smile and then they'd have this look on their face like, what's the catch? What's the hook? And there'd be no catch. We'd hand them a bottle and then be gone to the next person. People universally enjoyed it. We didn't get we didn't get any negative uh, response. We had one guy who was a uh, uh, executive from a uh, uh, another company basically respond to a LinkedIn post about it, which says that's not going to win you any friends in the industry. So I don't think other vendors necessarily liked it, but the, for, to the people walking by, you know, attending a trade show, I think it was a little bit of a, a respite from the cacophony. What does it say to you that, uh, that the response that it got here in certainly the largest uh, industry trade show of the year, uh, that this resonated so much? What does it say to you about the state of the industry and how people are feeling about the products that are out there? I think it says very simply, the industry knows that it's an unhealthy relationship between customer and vendor, but they have to do it. Right? You can't not buy security solutions. You can't not stay current on your technologies. You can't not listen to vendors talking about breakthrough you know, enhancements or, or new capabilities. At the same time, we've been hearing those promises forever. Um, we're still in a situation where things are getting worse. And... Uh, and it was uh, maybe refreshing to step above it and acknowledge that we're all part of this equation. We didn't have a lot of discomfort about, should we make this investment? Should we try something that's a little bit more shocking or less uh, traditional? We knew we were going to execute it well. We just weren't sure how it would land. And so I was very relieved that it landed well because uh, we put a lot of effort into this. And, and really, we were resolute that we were going to stay true to it uh, and stay committed. So it was a big relief that it actually worked. That's Scott Petrie from Authenticate. The campaign is still running online. It's at fakesecurity.com. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. 
Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.